0: with you um, all and getting to know some of you, um, having some good chats and some good laughs. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to come and, and to be with you all and to, and to hopefully um, encourage you and your church. Uh, I need a little bit of advice from you and I'm sure you can give it. Uh, it concerns my wife. Oh, oh no, <laughs> problems. Oh, watch out, here we go. <laughs> Dangerous, dangerous territory. I could, I could have a big spade right now, and I could be digging. We'll see how we go. Um, so next year, I think I've said it. Mel and I, we um, celebrate 20 years of marriage, which is great. Okay, in March. I'm trying to remember the date. 27th. There we go. The 27th of March. Um, in fact, a, a funny little story. Uh, oh, my birthday's on the 18th of March. Mel's a little bit older than me. So she said, said, we have to have the wedding after your birthday. So we're actually uh, married the same age. So there you go. Um, I don't know. That's how ladies think. I'm not sure. But that's funny. Now, here's the advice I need from you. Uh, 20 years anniversary. We're we're planning on going on um, like a a honeymoon, going back to where we had our honeymoon in Bali, right? That's where we would like to go. Um, Now... I would like to take the kids. Mel's like, no, okay. What? What? Hands up if we should take them. Oh yes, I've got a couple, and yeah, <laughs> you're one of the kids. Fantastic. So, uh, I'm um, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's a resounding don't take the kids. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. they're oh, too little. they're too little to go. Um, we're hoping about maybe ten days or so. <laughs> what was that? The what? The Ah, oh, yeah, okay, it's fantastic. Yeah. Would you? No, they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't seem too keen. Actually, they're like, mm. um, yeah, you'll get in trouble for that, you know, volunteering them. Um, but, okay, I'll take that as I'll take that. As, actually, it's the same advice. I've done this a few times. I've asked people, they're like, "Don't take the kids. What are you thinking?" Go and treat your wife, of course, right? That's what I should do. All right. So it's interesting because as you approach these big milestones, uh, 20 years, you start to think about where did that 20 years go, firstly, um, but you also start to think about your relationship um, and, and how that, that's going and how that has gone so fast. and, and uh, um, It's a bit of a strange thing because I, I can hardly remember uh, Bali. I can hardly hardly remember the honeymoon. It's twenty years ago. I've got some vague memory memories there. The monkey park, I think I can remember that. The monkey jumping on me. That's about it. Um, uh, a couple of temples we went into and you know checked them out, and that was all a bit weird and strange. But that, but they sort of memories they they become vague, don't they? They fade a little bit. Our wedding day. Is a blur to me. I can't even remember it. Everyone said that as I was standing up there doing the vows, I can't remember my vows. I can't remember saying them. I, I, I was. Like they said I looked pale, and I was about to faint when I was doing it. But I got through. I said them. Yay, we're married, and I've got pictures to prove it. <laughs> and that's why you've got a wedding album, isn't it? Like to help, help, especially help the guy to remember. I think. That's so Occasionally, the wife pulls out and says, "See, we're married." And um, <laughs> it's it's strange on our wedding day it's, it's everything was a bit vague. And and, he, and here's here's my point, I suppose, that I've been thinking about. If my confidence in our marriage was only placed on the words that I said on that day, you know, and, and that was it, only on those words. And those words are good words and, they're, and, they're, and they're, a, they're a strong vow that you do place your confidence on to a point. But if, that, if, that, if that's all you've got and there's nothing after that, trouble. It's trouble, isn't it? How would I know for sure that she loved me after 20 years? If she said it and she said, well, I said my vows to you, that should be enough. And if I said to her, well, I said my vows to you, that should be enough, love. 20 years on. And that was all the evidence that we had of our love together. That would be really shaky ground, wouldn't it? You see, vows are words and they're good words, but are they enough to assure us of our love? Are they enough to give us confidence? How do we know for sure? That's been the question that we've been asking from the book of 1 John. You see, knowing really matters. Knowing for sure is is this main theme in the letter of John. And in this passage today, John uses the word five times. And the passage is 1 John 3, verse 11. So if you've got your Bibles, well, look at that. There it is there. Fantastic. 1 John 3, 11. I'm going to quickly read this out uh, to you, the passage we're looking at. For so this is the message. Remember? This is a By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. It's a great word, isn't it? In this passage today, John uses the word to know, to know. By this we know five times. John wants the church to know. He wants you and I to really, really know and have confidence and assurance that we are abiding with God, that we are in union and fellowship with Him and with each other. You see, the issue, that we've already been seeing, is this issue of knowledge, certainty, confidence, security in our faith. We saw yesterday didn't we? The basis for that. Our assurance and confidence in our fellowship and in our salvation, our communion together, our fellowship with God, our friendship with Him is dependent on the foundation of revelation. That's where it all starts. God reveals Himself to us in the person of His Son so that we can look at Him and know what God is like and have fellowship with Him. It depended on that foundation. That's where it all starts. The word of life was made manifest so we can see what life is all about when we look at Jesus. We can see what life should be like. And we, and we, we have this revelation through the eyewitnesses, don't we? They heard the voice of Jesus. They saw the powerful deeds of Jesus and they touched him. The post-resurrection body. They have physical evidence that he rose from the dead. And they testify to us so that you and I will hear the testimony written in scripture, receive that revelation, not just here, but in your heart and enter into fellowship with Jesus Christ and them so that our joy, our assurance may be complete. That's the foundation. That's the bedrock. And then we began to build on that foundation, asking the question, how can we remain assured as we uh, have ongoing fellowship with God, as we continue to uh, live out this Christian life? How can we be confident that we are abiding in Him? And the first message that we heard was, we'll walk in the light. That will give you confidence. Confessing, coming into the light, living daily in that light, not just talking about fellowship, but practising it with God and with each other. In fact, the verse before the passage that I just read out to you um, basically summarises all of this. 1 John 3, verse 10, if you have it there, I'll read it anyway. By this it is evident who are the children of God. Wow, this is going to be good, isn't it? By this it is evident. It's obvious who are the children of God and who are the and, and who are the children of the devil. Here we go. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That is a person who practices sin is of the devil that continues to practice it doesn't repent of it doesn't come into the light they're of the, they're of the devil. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see, what matters to God is not just knowledge about him. The devil knows a lot about God. What really matters is something far more fundamental than that. And we pick it up in our very first verse of one John three eleven. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should love one another. That's what really matters. You see, the critical message for you and I today, how do we know, how how can we have assurance in our Christian walk It started with the foundation revelation, the first test, walk in the light. And now today it says, this is it. Love one another. Love one another. You see, if God has really revealed himself to you and you've accepted that revelation is true, that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will walk in the light. And you will start to love each other. They're great tests. But this test is not so much about your internal life with God. That is, you know, uh, am I walking in the light? You know, what sins must I confess, Lord? You know, that, that God putting the, the light on you. This test is, is more of an external one, isn't it? It's how you're relating to those around you with God's people. And here are some good questions to ask. How am I treating them? How am I serving them? What's my attitude towards my brothers and sisters in Christ? It's a very important question to, to wrestle with, continually asking those questions. You see, see it's, a, it's a massive test. It really shows where you are really at with God, how you relate to your brother and sister. In Christ. In fact, it always has. From the beginning, he said. From the beginning, it's been the defining test. It's been the message right from the beginning. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, it says. From the beginning of God's story of redemption and salvation, the beginning of time, the beginning of history, the beginning of the book of Genesis, the world was made out of love. It was the product of love. You and I are the product of love. God the Father created the world through His Son as an expression of love for His Son. He creates a world to share that love with. For His creation and His creatures, you and me, to experience that love, to thrive in that love, and then to love like that, to love others to be people who love like God towards his creation. It's beautiful. But we now get dragged back by John to see what went wrong with that. See, John wants to take us all the way back to show us what love is not. This is what love is not. Verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. You see, John goes all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to Genesis 4, to the children of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Their first children, first boys, and and they both these boys they present offerings to God. If you remember the story in Genesis, Uh, Cain brings the produce of the harvest. Uh, Abel brings the fat portions of the livestock, and God looks at the heart behind those offerings, and He accepts Abel's and He rejects Cain's. Cain is angered, and he's jealous. And and it wells up in him. It just lingers there. And it does its job in his heart over some time. And God even comes and warns him, doesn't he? He says, sin wants you. Don't let it get a grip of your heart. But it does. And they go out into the field. And Cain rises up against him and murders his brother. Kills him, sheds his blood. Cain is an example of what love is not. Cain is an example of what it means to reject the word of life. Cain is an example of what it means to walk in the shadows. Cain is an example of what it means to hate and not love. Cain kills And in killing his brother, he himself is left distraught and left to wander the earth all by himself, cursed and lost. In a sense, he murders himself as well. He kills his brother, but he himself is destroyed. Now, why would John use this example for the church and for us? I mean, it's a bit extreme, isn't it? I mean, I'm hoping no one here is thinking of murdering someone. But you never know. Remember what Jesus taught in Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Anyone who hates his brother or sister in his heart, in their heart, is a murderer. You're murdering them in your heart. Could this apply to us? Of course it could. Sadly, Christians are capable of of hate. Of course we are. We've we had plenty of examples throughout history. I was talking to some, some of you about that. A few years ago, I got a, a chance to go to Israel and it was an amazing trip. I went to Jordan and Israel and wow, just incredible time to see all, uh, all these places and to, to walk. I mean, history in Europe is amazing. Uh, it's still standing. You can see it. In Israel, it's even older and sort of like it's rubble, but uh, that's how old it is. Um, but I got to go and I visited, the, um, I visited Jerusalem and went to all the different sites and I uh, went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where Jesus is reputed to have been, uh, that's where he's crucified and that's where he was buried. And you have seen Christians from all over the world come to this place to um, visit the place of their Lord's crucifixion and burial. And um, it's really interesting you see people from all walks of life all colors all you know all types of uh, traditional dress it's fantastic to go and see it was amazing uh, but but i found out about the history of the church of the holy sepulcher uh, that that it's actually run by the orthodox that's the eastern christians the eastern christian empire uh, they they run it they got control of it but during the years, during the millennia, there's been an ongoing battle between the Latin Christians, that's the Western Christians or the Catholics and the Orthodox, over this, and the pitched battles, physical violence. Um, priests uh, get grabbing crucifixes and hacking at each other and killing and murdering each other with the cross. The irony is thick, isn't it? It's crazy. Christians can do all sorts of stuff to each other very drastic example. But our hate for each other can be a lot more subtle than that. We know how to moderate our hate, to cloak it, to hide it. It's really easy. Just Just ignore them. That's one way to cloak it. Don't talk to them. Sit on the other side. Perhaps gossip about them undermine them with lots of little harsh critiques to everyone else. That can be a favourite in churches, especially if you don't like the pastor. I hope that you support your pastor, your pastor Todd, the man of God. He loves the word. Support him. If you have any grievance in your church, come and talk to him about it. Just be up front. That's the best way. That's the way Christians should be. In churches, there are so many different ways that we we, we hate each other. And John gives us this example to warn us and to help us to be careful. But there's another reason why John uh, uses this example of Cain, to help us to comprehend that this struggle uh, between love and hate, uh, light and darkness and life and death, has actually been there from the very beginning. This is not new. It's ingrained in creation. It's ingrained in us. Since the fall of mankind, humanity has been at war with itself. Hate and anger, malice and bitterness and disdain and contempt and jealousy so common in the human heart. One minute we embrace each other, the next minute we're gossiping and undermining. We're hating. Therefore, love becomes the ultimate test the best way to gauge our fellowship with God through our fellowship with each other. To assure ourselves and to grow in our confidence as Christians is the best way. If you love and and you just love people, your confidence will grow. John thinks it's a very good way to seek assurance for our salvation, actually. Uh, look there in verse fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Wow, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You see if we, if we act like Cain and we hate we have hate and malice and bitterness and contempt and jealousy lingering in us in our hearts, then we cannot have confidence in our salvation we'll be really shaky, we'll be second-guessing ourselves and we'll become unanxious and, and unsure about where we stand with each other and with God, and rightly so. You see, we were encouraged yesterday to believe the testimony of John, the eyewitness, that our foundation and our confidence It it lies in believing the good news, the revelation. And then we're encouraged to confess our sins and step into the light because we have an advocate who will stand for us in that light, who died in our place, the word of life, dying so that you and I could be in the light of God without any fear and shame. But today this passage encourages you and I to ask, do I love? It's another great test. Do I really love? It's critical. A question that if, if it's answered in the affirmative will bring you confidence and joy. But what does that look like? What does his love look like? John provides us a perfect example of love that we can measure our love against so that we know what love actually looks like and then we can practice it. Look there in 1 John 3:16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see, God provides us an example to imitate, doesn't he? He sends his son, the word of life, into this world, the one by which all things were made. You and I have our very breath and life because of him. He came down... To, to walk in this world and to make God visible to us so that we could know what love looked like and then practice it. But he goes far, much further than that, much further than anyone expected. He, he comes so that we might love like he loves. So he lays down his life, the word of life dies so that we can live. And take life up and love. So that you and I, who knew only death, could now inherit life and live a life of love. We are raised up to love. That's the purpose. To to be expressions of God's love. Jesus is the ultimate expression the ultimate example of what love is like, and then he raises up a whole multitude of people to be like him in this world, you and me. To be like the word of life in his world. You are like little lights. You are like little um, packets of love and of life to people. That's what we are to be. They should be attracted to us and to you because you just it your love and your care and you are life-giving just like Jesus was. That's what perfect love is. It's a laying down of your life for your brothers and sisters. It's a laying down of your own desires and your interest in order to raise others up just like Jesus did for you. To, to, to have the interest of your wife in your heart or your husband or your friend or your neighbour, your town, whichever town you live in. You should have a, a deep love for the town and for the people in there, for Shepparton. You are a light. You are love. And people should look at you and go, wow, what a life. You can only do that, you can only be like that if you have the eternal living hope of Jesus in you. If you are living in his resurrection power, that will enable you to love like he loved, constantly dying to self, living for others. And it will be a joy and a blessing to you and that will be a, 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 such an assurance of your salvation as you do that over and over again. It won't only be an evidence to them, it'll be an evidence to yourself that you're loving like Jesus and that you're in fellowship with him. This love is a truly sacrificial love. It's costly. That's what makes it love. That's what makes it real love. Verse 17, Have it, check it out. But if anyone has the has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, that is, just says, oh, I'm not going to step out for him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, true love is a sacrificial love. That's, that's how you know it's love. True, true love counts the cost and it pays it true love is joyful in laying itself down for others it doesn't just talk love is not just is, is, is not words it might start with words but it always ends in action it acts that's how I know my wife loves me she said some words 20 years ago. I said some words to her 20 years ago. And uh, we meant those words. Sometimes we have failed in those words. But, but we keep on sacrificing ourselves for each other. And ongoing acts of love that, that build up our marriage and make our marriage solid and confident. It's the same with your faith with God. It's not just talk. It's not just talk, and and it's joyfully entered into. You see, we might think, "Oh, sacrifice. Oh, that's really hard. That's you know," know," and we begrudgingly do it. No, it's joyful. Check out this in Hebrews twelve. If you've got it there, look at it. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse one and two. This is a cracker. This is amazing what it says here about Jesus and how he laid down his life and how he sacrificed himself for you and I. Check out his attitude as he did it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, and here it is, who for the joy... That was set before him, endured the cross. It was joy. As he hung on the cross, dying for his people, he had joy in his heart. He had overflowing love. Because he knew what he was doing, that he was raising you and I up. Everlasting life, and that in glory after his resurrection, in his glorious ascension, and in his second coming, he's going to have a multitude of people there before him looking at him in his glory. And he's going to say, Brothers and sisters, I did this for you, now enjoy it, and I get joy out of your joy. That's what it's going to be like. And we're going to go, Wow. Well, you got joy because you died for us and we've got joy in you too. It's going to be an everlasting joy celebration. It's love. It's sacrificial, but it's full of joy as it dies for the other because it will be raised to life. See, when you sacrifice for other people, it never ends just in that. It always ends in glory. It's always, it always flowers into something greater. And the moment you sacrifice to someone, you know down deep in your heart, if you're a Christian, that it brings praise and glory to God and also to you. And it's a joy, no matter how costly it is. What an example to follow and to measure a life by. It's evidence that we are truly men and women of faith. Look at verse 19 to 22. By this we shall know that we are, the, are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. There it is. If you want any reassurance that you're walking with God, love. Start loving others. And very soon your confidence will rise because you know you're walking in the light and in the love of your God. For, every, so for, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. You see, sacrificial love, it reassures us. You know what it's like when you give in a costly way. It actually, for the Christian, it feels quite good. You might balk at it a little bit initially, but when you do it, it's like, oh, glad I did it. That's the spirit in you rejoicing in your giving and in your love. It reassures our hearts. But when we're miserly and mean, when we find a way to excuse ourselves from loving another, the other person, sort of just getting out of the responsibility to actually act because it's going to be costly to us, when we balk and we avoid our giving of ourselves, of our time, of our home, of our hospitality, of our wealth, of, it, it, our, it, our hearts begin to condemn us. Our hearts shrink because our heart knows that we're withholding. It knows that we're not loving and that we have stepped back into darkness. But God, it says, is greater than our hearts. That is, Jesus is greater in that he never withholds. He's not like our heart. He he, 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 just, he never does any calculations. He, he just never plays the percentages. He just gives and gives and gives and gives, even life itself. And when he did that, and when you and I do that, we truly live and are born again, raised up. That's the nature of God. That's to be our nature too. God is greater than our hearts. You see, our our hearts are fickle. And they tend to withhold and begrudge and love themselves, but God is never like that. He never withholds. He always only loves completely, and he never can. And therefore, he is never condemned. God knows everything. He knows our hearts. He knows it when we are withholding and failing to sacrificially love even if we're really good at hiding it. And, we and I, you and I know it too. But I pray that in Exchange Church, you would be confident, confident in your faith, born out of a, of a radical willingness of joy to sacrificially love and give to others just like Jesus did amongst yourselves, but but in your communities as well, that that's radical, and that will change your towns, and it will change Shepherdon. When you step out in love, because love is bold, and love is courageous, and love gives when it's you know we, where others won't give, and you'll be known for your love, and people will say they have real life. I want to know what they've got. I might go to church with them. I might listen to the gospel. I might open up the word of life and I might become a Christian too. I hope that that's what your church is going to be like and I hope it is like that. In 1 John three twenty-three, it says this, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, that we believe in this, Believe in the name of His Son and love one another just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments that He walks in the light abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us. It is our confidence by the Spirit whom He has given us. It's been a privilege to be here. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak to you and to encourage you. I hope and I pray and I'll pray in a moment that you base your confidence on the Word of God, that this church always preaches from the Word of God. And I know that Todd does. Keep encouraging him in that. Keep spurring him on in that. Uh, be, Be men and women who read the Word daily and base your life on it and be in fellowship with the Lord Jesus who revealed himself to us, to his apostles and to us in the word. Confess your sin, walk in the light. Get confidence that way and love and love. Pretty simple really, isn't it? Let me pray for Exchange pray for you guys. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this church, these people, these men, women and children. Oh, Lord, thank you so much that you have brought them here this week because they're in fellowship together. Uh, They love each other. They care for each other. But, Lord, I pray that that would love and that that care would deepen even more, that it would be more radical than ever before, that they would truly take every opportunity to be sacrificial towards one another, blessing each other, not begrudgingly, but out of a heart of joy, because in our giving, Lord, uh, we are raised up, In our sacrifice, we become alive in you. And so do those we give to. Oh, Lord, would you make this church a church that is founded on your word, walks in the light and loves deeply. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.
1: Thanks, Steve. Thanks for really uh, blessing us uh, immensely in God's word and just opening up your heart and allowing uh, the spirit to just sort of work through you with the gospel to really uh, help us to see Jesus in a deeper and a more profound way. So I'd love us now just to um, to worship Christ in a response to what we just heard from Steve, not only this morning but uh, yesterday as well. And if I could get Tom and Sam, Sam Hall, if you guys could grab the communion. Um, trays, just hand them out for me. That would be really terrific. I think this will be a terrific way just to respond now. As we look at this confidence that uh, Steve's been opening up for us over the uh, last couple of days and I was really um, taken there by the start of John's letter there. He said that which was from the beginning. And it is true what Steve said, you know, when you get lost in some sense or you lose your confidence or, or get anxious about something, you go back to what you know Sort of, and that you go back to the beginning. I know what's at the beginning. That actually gets me my bearings again. And this is precisely what we do here when we come around the Lord's table with uh, the elements here of the bread and the wine. That it actually brings us back to the beginning. And really, that's what the cross is. The cross is the beginning of our Christian walk. When, when we lose our confidence in life and lose our confidence in uh, our Christian life, that focus we've got to have is, is to come back to the beginning of our Christian life, and that is the cross. That's what Jesus has done for us. And uh, he said it here in um, uh, 1 John chapter 2. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's a big word, that propitiation. yesterday. It's, it's the atoning sacrifice that Jesus has made. It's that shielding us from God's holy, righteous anger towards our sin. Jesus comes and takes our place. He becomes that propitiation, he becomes that offering, as it were, to take away God's, uh, or, sorry, to have God's justice spent on him and instead of us. So there's confidence that we build and we've looked at it the last couple of sessions is not on us at all. Because if you're putting any confidence in yourself, you will fail miserably, just like I would fail miserably. The whole idea is to come back to the beginning again and look at Christ, at the cross, and we build our confidence there. And then it works through this life that Steve's been opening up to us over the last couple of sessions as well. So this is what these emblems are. It's actually this refocus again, back to the beginning back to where it started, back to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because without that confidence in what He has done for us, we have no confidence. So we come back, and that's what we do. When we hold the emblems again, the cracker and the cup, it is, it's is—it's that refocus again back to the beginning, back to the start of our Christian walk. So we're going to do that now and today. And, what, and when we do this, this really is an act of worship in response to hearing God's word open up to us again because that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to come back and look at Jesus Christ again and look at what he has achieved for us so that our confidence is in him and uh, not in ourselves. I'm just going to ask um, a couple of people just to to give thanks as we um, take those emblems now. So. Anybody, just to to volunteer to uh, to give thanks for what Christ has done in uh, giving that confidence for us. Thanks, Lord God, we just uh, praise you and thank you that um, you took the punishment for our sins, that you uh, suffered that shame and uh, bore such agony on that cross that we deserve for our sins. And yet you were raised to life that we may know life, that we may know you, that you opened your arms and said, come, come and follow me. And that's what we want to do, Lord, that's what we want to acknowledge today in taking this Bread this wine, this, uh, these, these symbols reminding us of what you've done for us. Thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could just have one other to give thanks as well. Friends, please um, take the cracker and take the cup as a symbolism of this uh, confidence that we have. Father, we do. We do give you thanks and we do give you praise uh, today as we've uh, just gathered around your word and uh, spent this time together hearing from one John and spent time together in conversations over the weekend and uh, renewing our absolute confidence in the rock, Christ Jesus, and uh, Lord, his incredible sacrifice in uh, leaving it all to come, Lord, as it were, to come and take our place on the cross. I pray uh, that you will uh, build that rock of confidence deeply in our hearts, Holy Spirit, and to help us to grow in that confidence as well that lives would reflect uh, this change that Jesus has made. Uh, Lord, we ask that for your glory and for our good. Amen. Well, guys, I don't know about you, but I have been uh, absolutely thoroughly blessed by Steve uh, over the last couple of days.